Welcome to the Revenue Blueprint. This is not another sales podcast on tips and tactics. Instead, we focus on unfiltered stories from founders and early stage sales leaders on what it takes to build a successful revenue team. If you get just a little bit of value from this, we ask that you pay it forward by liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. All right, let's get into the episode. Oh, well, we're back. Another episode. We got Huang's internet's already cutting out. It's a good, good start. Let's get this party started. Another episode of Revenue Blueprint. Uh, today, we're joined with Huang Pham, a good friend, a constant internet uh, connection struggler uh, <laughs> for life. So let's see how this goes. Um, Huang, uh, awesome to to get you on here and I'm excited as a, as a friend and colleague to learn, you know, some stuff I don't know about you. So this will be good. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So for those who don't know Huang, um, he's currently head of marketing at Monite, which I'm excited to learn a little bit more about. Uh, before that, he was a growth analyst, uh, at a company called Moly in the Netherlands, uh, where he then grew into head of growth. Um, so excited to learn about that transition. He was number 37, is now 800 plus. Um, they bootstrapped through series A, B, and C. Uh, excited to learn what that was like, Huang, and then they raised 770 million. So serious raise. Uh, and then he worked for me before that as a business analyst at Revenate. And I think back then they called it a growth hacker. So <laughs> excited to unpack a little bit of that, Huang, but uh, let's dive right in, man. So so you were an analyst for me at Revenate, where we had a good time. Uh, but before that, you had studied to be a biomedical scientist. I don't even know what that means, but I'm excited to, to, to learn about that. But then you were very deliberate about getting into growth role at a startup. Like, what was that transition from scientist to growth? What inspired that? Why? Tell me, man. Well, like my decision to... to kind of become a scientist was like any any Asian family you need to become a doctor or an engineer or an, a lawyer. Uh, my route was a doctor, but I didn't I didn't get in. Like I didn't have good grades. So the I love the honesty out of the gates. Go on, man. <laughs> yeah, well I, I, like my if my parents would hear this, I like I, I didn't I wasn't a very good student and um I I didn't know whether it was because I, I didn't like the subject or um, whether I just wasn't a good student, um, but I I chose to um, study something that's quite related to medicine, right? Um, which biomedical science is like the difference between my biomedical science and medicine at the start is you don't have patient, uh, like you don't um, have any contact with patient. You don't get get taught to do that, but you learn all about um, the human body. Um, in the end, I I found that I didn't. I wasn't that interested in, um, but what it did teach me is the way of thinking. How, how do you think as a researcher? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I eventually transitioned out of it mainly because I didn't like the work itself. Like it's super boring. You, you're you're like standing in a lab and doing this all all the time. Uh -huh. But what drew you to the growth hacking? Well, I I wanted to to get out of it. The, the, that's the main main re like reason. I, I didn't want to become a uh, a scientist, but what else is there? That that was my thought. Um, 
uh, way of thinking back then. And I had two choices. One was becoming a consultant because I thought, hey, I'm analytical. It's what consultants want. And two was um, I got into startups when I uh, went to Sydney for my studies. I, I studied like uh, a course of commerce there. And I started to do um, start weekend there. And I learned about like how to start startup. And I started reading books. And I think like many uh, like young young guys back then uh, read the four hour work week back in two, 2013. So Jason only worked four hours. <laughs> <laughs> the things of Bible. <laughs> sure. well, yeah, all, all those things combined were were pushing me towards uh, tech startups, and and I was thinking of okay, am I going to do the consulting route or am I going to work in a tech startup? And uh, eventually, I thought okay. If my heart is, is at startups and I, why, why don't I just like start in a startup immediately? So at the start, I didn't like want to go into the growth hacking route because it, it didn't exist. I just wanted to work in a startup because I didn't like the super old, uh, where you need to wear a suit and tie type of company. Yeah. We and, weren't wearing suit and ties and I was yeah, not old then. But, but be, before Revenate, like before I got into Revenate, I started working for startups, making no money. I was just doing an internship after I finished studying just because I was working for startups who didn't have money. So I um, eventually uh, um, wanted to for, to work for one that actually raised a bit of money. Um, In those startups, though, were you doing like growth-related stuff? Because I thought when we first met, you were very deliberate in your interest. Yeah, that, that's where I developed. So before I... Um, I like I did business operations type of stuff, so uh, like uh, sales support. I did some PR, so anything commercial side, I would support the commercial officer. And it was a super small startup. And um, but actually, like when I uh, I didn't deliberately want to go into growth hacking, I actually applied for the SDR role at Revenate. Ah, uh, that's what it was. Yeah, and you you told me that mm, I don't think it's something for you, Hong. Um, and then I, I was that too smart for this song, too smart <laughs> for it, man. Well, the, the, the funny thing is, I think you don't know this story before <laughs> I, I, um, before I joined Revenade, I actually applied for another SDR role. Um, it's a company called Double Dutch, they they create event apps. And for those who are not who, who don't know, this was all in Amsterdam, yeah, th this was in Amsterdam. And I got all the way to the last round. Right? Uh, the last round w was with the, the CEO. And uh, um, I eventually didn't get it because I didn't close him. I, I, I asked about, uh, so next next month I want to go on a holiday. Is that okay? Can I start like uh, one month later? And then he just like, <laughs> was like, yeah, if you're sales and you don't close me, then uh, it's, it's not for you. So I didn't get a role, but I... I uh, tried again for a need. Oh, so your vacation kept uh, brought us together. Yeah, and I was at one one question. You mentioned long that you were not a good student, and I have met many people that were not good students that turned into successful business folks. So I'm curious, why do you think education didn't translate well for you, but you were able to, you've been able to grow successfully in the work world? I think it was the subject. It, it was mainly the subject where, for example, learning anatomy 
where you like it, it's a lot of very difficult Latin names, uh, uh, memorizing that about a body. I you speak Dutch, Wong. You speak Dutch. I'm sure you can handle Latin. <laughs> I actually had it in, in high school, but like I, I forgot everything about it. But it, yeah. it didn't interest me. And the moment I switched subjects to more commerce, but then with the same type of mindset, I excelled. And so I think the subject ma mattered a lot for me. Yeah, I I very much agree with you on that. And seeing some of my my own kind of ups and downs between academia and um, and the real world. Actually, probably mainly, I was actually a decent student, but I was an accounting major and I was like a very average accountant. I did not enjoy it. I knew like two weeks in, I didn't like, want to be an accountant. I'm glad you didn't do that for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everyone should be happy that I'm not an accountant but anymore. But I was there for like three and a half years and it, I had to get fired to get out. Um, and it was the best thing that happened in my career, but it was like, as soon as I got into the startup world, everything, like my drive and my intensity just went to a completely new level that I never had before in the accounting world. So I think, right, that subject matter, like what you're going to be surrounded by, the environment you're in matters so much. That makes, makes me wonder with like university programs and like exposing kids to real young adults, to real business experiences and things that they'll, they can get them excited I don't know. It's an interesting, like you said, like you could be an average student, but an incredible business person because you get excited about it. Um, maybe zooming all the way out, Wong. Um, so you started in 2015, um, and you've been through joining, you know, our company in the early days at Revenate, then joining Moly, scaling that up. You're now at another early stage startup. Uh, but what is going to maybe a major change or major change that you've seen since you started in growth in 2015. And I'll, I'll just kind of add to that. In 2015, it was a growth hacking was like a thing and a cool term. And that's why we've been using it is because then that was a job, that was a path that wasn't hacky or kind of, you know, low quality as a, I think now it has a negative connotation. Um, what other changes have you seen kind of evolve in the, in the, seven, eight years that you've been actively involved in in it. Yeah. Yeah. So um I think growth as a term itself, it's it's an umbrella term, right? Um growth can mean everything, but everything doesn't mean it's necessarily growth. Right. Um which means at the start, like people would call it a growth hacker, but it could it could mean you work in sales, uh, but then maybe a little bit more technical sales. Or, or like tech savvy sales, or you could do marketing, or you could work in product, right? And it really depended on the type of business um, you worked in, like the business model, the product, uh, the type of customers you're looking for. Um, but now nowadays, growth is um, is more niched down, right? So you, I, I hear a lot of people talk about motion, right? Um, sales led growth. Uh, so sales is the motion in how you execute growth. Uh, you get growth at, by doing sales, which again is it's just doing sales. And then you have marketing led uh, led growth, which is just marketing. And then you have product led growth, which is just product. But then the the difference in here is that doing all that, where the thought process and the the focus is on can we grow the company as much as possible. Um, like right now, I I moved from growth to marketing, uh, which 
isn't like it's a shift um but then again it's also not that big of a shift uh, in in how can, I can I pause you there for a second can you like for once in my life just explain the difference between growth and marketing because I've really never been able to do it yeah I'm going to try it so a lot of people say that growth is across the whole customer journey right from uh, people don't know anything about you to then become a customer and also afterwards right so uh, and that really depends on the type of company right if you talk about a marketplace after they've entered like the the platform there's a whole like there's there's a lot you can do with with the uh, the customer or the prospect right people talk about the viral loops and uh, making sure that um, there's a network effect and and that's a thing for marketplaces. So if you talk about growth for marketplaces, it means complete something completely different. Um, for the company I work for right now, which is B two B, or B two B to B, so we we sell infrastructure to uh, kind of enterprises. There is none of that. Like there is no viral effect or network effect. Um, but for the company I used to work previously, that was kind of a word of mouth and viral effect. So. That would mean there are different channels that I would have to focus on. Um, the reason where where marketing becomes different is that you only execute in marketing, right? Whereas growth, you can look at other parts of how how the business model works. And you can try to optimize those parts, right? It could be, oh, we're we losing a lot of money because um, people have always asked this question, right? And this is a big friction point. Can we solve this by looking at from a point of view of Oh, this is a blocker in, in, in growth. It it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to execute in marketing. It doesn't mean that you necessarily need to send an email and tell them, oh, this is the way you should do it. It could could also mean that you change the interface, which is more on a product side, and then the friction is gone. Right? So from a growth perspective, it could mean anything. But from a marketing perspective, it, it doesn't mean that it's the best solution to to uh, fix growth on that side. So would you say that marketing is kind of the like an umbrella and that growth, like you said, has these different specific functions within it that are very growth-minded, like focused on specific growth, where marketing is generally, I mean, obviously this gets messy, but branding and kind of education and supports all these different, can support these growth functions, but the growth function might be very specific in a, in a in a kind of narrow way, yeah, yeah. So I would say marketing is like a, a domain, right? You have all these type of ways you can uh, express marketing, um, but growth is specifically on only metrics that matter, like the KPIs that matter. Um, and because on the product side, for example, like product management itself, building great products, a lot of times it's not connected to growth at all, right? Uh, maybe if you zoom out in and then, for example, you talk about Facebook and Facebook launches, uh, like Meta launches uh, threads. That's that's a big bet they're taking that hopefully will fuel growth on a very high level, right? But on on a lower level with product, like product, building product as a product manager doesn't mean that it always adds value to growth, right? So for example, product manager could be fixing bugs of this specific small piece of the infrastructure, um, but that's not directly co uh, connected to growth at all. And, um, 
So yeah, it's a specific piece of this type of domain where you look at, can it directly increase revenue, yes or no? And then you can zoom in and zoom out depending on the, 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 the size of the bet that you can take. I like it. Let's, let's get into some of these examples uh, or real life experiences that you've had. What's been a uh, strategy that you've used that has uh, been very effective? Um, yeah, so a, a very... Um, Give us all the secrets, Swam. All the secrets. Well, the, the, there's an unexpected <laughs> one. So I, I have one where it's simple, but I didn't, I, I didn't expect it, it to work that well, uh, which is um, we, we send out an upsell email based on behavior that we saw uh, and the upsell what the upsell email said was hey i see that you're doing this because of that like as a trigger we have a better product um and we would only communicate about this new product uh, not new product but it's a product that exists but we would communicate about this this other product and we would tell them that maybe maybe try it out so it's it's purely based on uh finding a trigger and then um, communicating the benefits with a call to action, and surprisingly, that worked really well. It's it's very simple, but um, coming up with that and then eventually automating it and and scaling that that's where it becomes more complex. Like in in the end, with yeah, it that sounds email, like a... yeah, I was coming up with a with a money shot. Uh, we we increased uh, revenue by thirty percent. Compared to the uh, like the control, right? For, from an email, right? That's so awesome. I, I I would measure all the way on revenue back to an email. That sounds like a growth hack. <laughs> what um, how did you identify the behavior? Was it like some sort of in-app like? Because that's the whole thing is if you could scan, watch all of your users all the time. As soon as they do a specific thing, you then can put something else in front of them to say, hey, based on that, you might like this. How do you? How did you find that trigger or find that behavior? Well, so the, one of the frameworks I look at is either thinking in, in friction or in opportunity, right? So but the way I find opportunities or friction is by like dissecting data, like looking at patterns. Um, and what, one thing I saw is that there was this product where a lot of people would use it but we didn't make a lot of money up from it. But the added value that people use this product is similar to our other product that we had. Um, but then the other product had way higher margins. Right? And that's kind of the, the opportunity that I saw. So my, my assumption was, uh, my hypothesis was, hey, but if they're using this product anyways, right? They, they're getting the benefits, but it's one where we have low margins. What if we would introduce the other one? Um, would that stick or not? And uh, apparently, like just people just didn't know about the other product, and then that's that's where uh, explore that. You sound like a scientist when you talk about this wrong. It's almost like <laughs> yes. you were in a biomedical science before. I've had masters in it. <laughs> that's good. Um, maybe some stuff that was uh, that didn't work so well, or some something some tactics or strategies that either backfired or, or came up with results that were unexpected? Um, Google AdWords 
is is super shit sometimes. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> not a sponsor. <laughs> so, well, the, so the, so the thing with Google AdWords is, um, and apparently this is a like a big thing. Uh, like one thing I I saw that. Uh, again, with the same mindset of dissecting data, and, and I figured I found out that uh, our AdWords were actually working. Like we we made positive ROI uh, or ROAS um, return on ad spend with Google AdWords um, before we didn't know. We would just spend like a, a a fixed amount of money to Google, and we wouldn't know like how much money we made from it. And what I did was I I tried to attribute and look at okay, all the customers who actually came from Google AdWords. Are they actually valuable? Like, are they more valuable than than other customers or not? So I would segment, right? And I saw that it was valuable, and we didn't spend a lot of money. Um, so my one of the mantras I have is doing experiments. You, like, you don't find growth from doing experiments. Experimenting more doesn't make you hit your target. What makes you hit the target is actually scaling the positive experiment. So I wanted to scale what I saw was working. Um, and I scaled it in a way, but then when I wanted to go internationally, that didn't work. That was so much, like we spent so much man money on spam. Like, uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of discovered that these were all fake accounts and we couldn't do anything about it. Like Google wouldn't help. When you say, would you say fake accounts? You mean fake clicks? Fake signups even. So competitors were just like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I never managed to find out what, like, where that came, like, where that came to happen. But apparently, there are companies who, who, um, who analyze traffic from Google Ads to prevent fraud, uh, fraud, fraud clicks, right? So apparently, there, there are companies who, uh, who do this for, uh, like, to, just to make commission on, on, uh, like, affiliate. Interesting. It's a dangerous world out there. You got, you have to be careful. Um, I will follow follow to that, right? So you have, we'll call it a sensitivity with Google Ads. Um, do you have any have any strong thoughts on LinkedIn ads at all? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. Like it depends on the business model, right? So right now, it's something that we're 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 experimenting with. Um, as long as you are able to like narrow down your ICP and buyer persona really well, I think LinkedIn ads is is phenomenal, right? It, um, yeah, yeah, it may be more expensive, um, but if you target really well, it's not it it's not too expensive. Right? I I I am seeing click uh, cost per click below two euros, right? Which is what you usually see with with uh with Google Ads, um, but just because we're we're able to like narrowing it down way better, um, it's good. Next to that, LinkedIn actually allows you to build like very good funnels, like very, very deliberate funnels based on uh, behavior. Right. Whereas with Google, you can't like it's it's all do they have the intent or not, and then like the 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 again. I actually really like Google. I have, I have all my accounts on Google. But again, another um, negative thing with Google is um, they promote retargeting on Google. But retargeting on Google 
actually doesn't make sense at all, right? Um, because you can only retarget on Google if they decide to, oh, I'm going to search for this again. And then you, like they, they put your website a bit higher um, or they make the cost for that click a little bit cheaper, um, but it's not real retargeting. So. so maybe on this LinkedIn topic, Jason, Jason and I have been talking about account-based marketing, uh, mainly talking about our ignorance on it and frustration with it. Um, have you seen account-based marketing work well? Uh, and what does it look like? Uh, enlighten us on anything you want to tackle on that topic because we're, we want to be edu more educated going forward on it. So the, the way I look at account-based anything, um, or no, the way I look at marketing is that marketing is nothing more than scaling up sales. Right? Sales always has higher conversion, whereas marketing always has higher velocity. Right, So you, you can scale sales by doing marketing. And then depending on the industry or the size of the deal, like some like marketing could work or, or it could not work, or you need both right, to, to bring it together. So the way you would approach account-based sales is the same way I would approach account-based marketing. The only difference is that I could maybe, I need to find a way whether I can segment different personas or I would need to think about okay I have a white paper this white paper I need to create for different personas right um, which costs a lot of time and then if you think about some companies need to localize right so they need different languages that's even more money right so account-based marketing eventually becomes very difficult because the cost is just very high uh, to eventually roll it out in a very like a uh, holistic way um, but the, the approach is similar to Have sales. you seen anybody do it excellently? No. That's a loaded question. It's just, yeah. everybody talks about it quite loosely. I think our assumptions are in line with what you're saying, which is it's massively time consuming and really hard. I think it's kind of enlightening that you're saying like it's the same concept of what salespeople would do, which is approach account from different angles with different messaging based on the persona, um, which is direct marketing, which is selling is. So, like, have you seen anybody do it excellently? The, I was buying you time at... there, Huang. We've done it <laughs> yeah, excellently. I, I have seen companies who like, create very good content. Um, so, so, so the thing is, from a, from a um, consumer point of view of consuming content, I wouldn't know, right? I would only be targeted for this white paper. I, I wouldn't be able to see whether they have the same, but then a like for developers, I, I wouldn't know. But from a from an outside point of view, the way I I would judge whether like they probably could do uh, are doing good content marketing or account based marketing or not is the content that they provide to me is it super relevant or not or is it very generic? If it's super relevant for me as a persona, then my guess would be okay they they are doing it really well and HubSpot is one of them, right? They they. HubSpot does account-based marketing on geography, persona, uh, size of company, product. Like they have a lot of different dissections on, on, okay, they create content specifically for this use case. And then they build a full community around it where so the community creates content for you. And when you look up like about specific topics, you, you get bombarded with user-generated content. And so that's where the full picture of 
account-based marketing, if you want to call it, uh, happens really well. And if you're doing it well, you're t you're approaching every persona that influences a deal. Like, how would you define who to go after if you're doing it well? Anybody is like adjacent influences the deal, or is it more like? I guess it depends on time, but what would be the right trade-off between like decision maker and champion and influencer and all those things? Yeah, I would say it depends on 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 how the product is used. Right. So, for example, companies like Miro and Slack, um, the, the way people uh, kind of won won that market, or the way those companies won the market was uh, by going bottoms up, right? Having people using the free version, uh, where the experience was so good that um, they become higher, bigger influencers than the actual decision maker on the top. Right. So, but that's because the 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 network effect it had, the more people use it, was there. Um, but for enterprise, it's it's the one just under the the CPO or the CTO or the CEO. Um, I would I wouldn't um, target like executive uh, for bigger companies as as most people try to do. Uh, usually because like I, I read this very good article of of a CMO where he said, I'm getting 40 like uh, emails a day, people pitching me products, but he, he isn't the one like proposing, right? He's not the one building the business case. He's only approving the business case, right? So you need to go one level lower, like approach them and target them on, okay, this is, this is why you need to create this business case. And you need to basically help them create the business Champion case. Champion level would be the starting point. Champion and down to influence. Okay. The and I think Wong too, like kind of what what you're you're talking about before is when you're going to be doing that retargeting is right. You have to continually build that trust, and so the way that you're going to do that is by providing them the types of content that make them trust you a bit more and are also very relevant to that particular stakeholder, right? in their particular company, um, which makes sense. But I guess that's probably also like managing all those assets and getting them to the right people at the right time is probably the hardest part of trying to do ABM at scale. Yeah. Well, well one thing I would like as a as a caveat for, for that, like for doing ABM at scale is for a lot of companies, ABM is not a thing and it shouldn't be because what ABM is doing is you're increasing the conversion from maybe 10% conversion to 15%, right? But it's different from going from zero to 10%, right? So for a lot of people, they just need to build a very basic funnel where you have you have all of the content pieces that's not personalized for that persona, right? That's more important. So if you don't have a case study, you don't have an you don't have a a guide, or you don't have a um, a checklist. Like if, if these are all of the content pieces that you need for a fun, for a very simple fun, funnel, build that first, right? And then start advertising um, instead of trying to localize, or no, not localize, instead of trying to like build the same, but then for a different vertical or for a different, um, different persona. Because that, that, that's all like uh, extra, extra gravy. I <laughs> think, 
Yeah, spoken like a true marketer, the gravy. What um on that same topic, a lot of you know founders listen to the podcast. We work with a lot of founders that are trying to get started with growth. Like, what are some mistakes that founders make or other leaders make in in the early stages? Right. I think you just said one is like over engineering marketing to be account based when you just need to get started with the basics. Are there other kind of lessons that you've learned? I mean, in your kind of experience with Monite as an early stage startup, what do you advise on like the most impactful and, and best practices and things to avoid? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so sometimes I also um, add like um, kind of give advice to to other startups or like friends of mine who, who started startups. But one thing I'd, that I see is that um, one thing they get wrong is that they think hiring will solve their problem. Right? Uh, what I believe is that hiring, hiring usually is a solution for a growing pain. Right? So either professionalizing or automation or scaling. Right? But figuring out the fundamentals, that should all always stay at, at the founder level. Like the product positioning or the strategic GTM, go-to-market choice that you make or um, building the products for like to hit product market fit, like you, you you can't hire someone for that in the early stages. That always needs to stay at the founders. I love it. And then, so a lot of founders want to. So let's say they're they're keeping it themselves. They're trying to figure stuff out, but they want to start getting some of it going. You're saying just hiring someone and saying you figure it out is not a solution. I think that's a great. A first principle. Let's say they want to hire a junior growth-minded person, right? To like help add some manpower, woman power, human power to this thing that requires some time and effort. Um, where do you find those junior folks? Who have you hired in the fa- in the in the past? I mean, we we can talk a little bit about what we did at Revenate and how that was super valuable. But how do they? How do you find someone like you? entering the workforce or first one, two years in that isn't starting to like move up in the growth stack, trying to become ahead of growth soon, but is willing to do that kind of growth mindset stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for example, if, if there is no specific, um, like, uh, background that someone needs to have to, to do this, I think it's more other on than the... ex scientists. Ex scientists, obviously, <laughs> always good. Go for scientists, um, but I, I, I think it has to do with with uh, mindsets and and uh, that that person has. Like, if you have someone that's uh, that thinks outside of the box and is very proactive and and just um, like get shit shit done. Um, like one such a person is is always better to to do these type of roles. Um, what I would do like is specify the job really well, right? Um, because you you could try to find someone who does business development, but then uh, find one with a personality where they actually are curious about how the operations work, right? And and how sales operations or revenue operations work, and that person could grow into more of a, um, a growth role or uh, someone who's also analytical, but then this is developed. Like, that's, that's how you kind of um, um, do that. 
but a generic growth role, that's super difficult to fill because you're going to get like all different types of people applying for it from marketing to product to mostly marketing, right? I like this. No, so, so it goes back to your point before, is like growth is a very specific thing to be done in a very specific area. So if you're going to look for someone who's going to be doing a job for you, articulating that job very deliberately and clearly, so you get applicants for that specific thing versus saying, we're looking for a junior growth person is like, what does that mean? Like you said, market, you're going to get everybody because it sounds cool, but it's like only few would actually want the job. Okay. So it's less about, it's very specific in the articulation of what the job is to be done. You maybe call it a growth associate or call it whatever you want, but it's more yeah, so, about so the job. For, okay. for me, it was analyst, right? My background is, is being an analyst and, and, and that's how I grew into uh, understanding the problem and then actually executing. And I, I, I learned how to execute, but the, were there any of these things that were a little outside in these early stage roles, right? Where you need kind of like this generalist expertise uh, or generalist mindset beyond just some of the expertise. Were there any things that you took on that may have been a bit outside your skill set, um, or that you might have been a little uncomfortable taking on, but you did it and they ended up providing a lot of value? Yeah, so like before Revenate, uh, for example, because I would join companies uh, who didn't have that didn't have anything and there was no process, there was no product market fit, um, but they were trying to do everything that, that you could do or needed to do as a, uh, in a commercial role. So I, I did stuff like PR, never did that before, um, or doing sales. Like we, we didn't, um, have specific roles. So I, I would just pick anything that would need it to be done. Um, I would send out the investor updates as well, right? Which means, okay, you need to write an email marketing type of newsletter and those were all new to me um, but and there was not a lot of guidance because the the founders themselves also never never did that before um but finding someone who wants to just learn and and um giving that person the the uh, accountability that the responsibility and accountability that okay, that's your thing and try to make it better every time um yeah, if you find someone who's willing to to be coached like that, that's that's uh, that's what you need. That's why I found him, Jason. <laughs> Brought him in to be with me. Right, we're talking about be SDR. a little bit first. Yeah, he, well, I didn't want him to be an SDR. So, uh, you know, we got you into a role, and I don't. I mean, it's a while ago, so it's a little bit fuzzy. But the you wanted to be an SDR, you wanted to be on the commercial side, but there was clearly the value that you could add beyond just cold calling, which was mostly what we were doing at that time. It was very effective and it was successful. Um, how do you like look back on that and what were kind of some takeaways from that experience um, around automating some of the lead generation efforts? Like, What were some of those things that you learned that you still stay with you and you still practice if there were any? <laughs> yeah, so... Um... I think, uh, so, so what I initially did was like I automated the lead generation stuff. And I actually learned that from, uh, for our work week and, and a course from Scott Bridgen, uh, where, where he talked about that. Um, but I think the, the, the main takeaway that I, like the reason why I started doing that is because the fact that you can outsource, uh, things that, um, and, and, and this way scale up your own time, uh, that's the base 
of, of of how I started that. And right now I still find talent on Upwork. And it's not necessarily talent that can do like a very manual task, um, but also things that I can't do myself, but I know that someone else can and uh, it's their spe- specialty and I just pay like 50 bucks to to get whatever I need. Wong, so Wong never actually worked for me. He just outsourced his whole job and he was on the beach in the Maldives. Well, I, I think Jason, maybe it's interesting. I mean, maybe for our listeners too, we had, we were selling to hotels and we hotels have weird hierarchies where there's different owners, uh, but there's also different operators. And the operators can have, are like these, they're called management groups where they run a bunch of hotels and they can be different brands as well. And so you have to know who you're selling to because if you're trying to cold call a hotel that's owned by a management group or run by a management group, um, they don't buy at the hotel level. They buy what we were selling at the management group level. So you're wasting your time. So we had to categorize everyone really well. And the way we realized to do that is that our first SDR that I hired in New York would call every hotel in the U.S. that we scraped TripAdvisor, put on a list, called every hotel and said, hey, are you part of a management group? And then we would just had this list of questions they would ask until they got hung up on, including if they were not, who the general manager was, what their email address was, who was head of marketing, what their email address was. And we just kept asking all these questions. And so that allowed us to really allocate the size of the accounts that we could sell to, right? So selling to a management was more of an enterprise or mid-market sale, while an individual hotel was more of an SMB sale and we had people doing different things. So we did that really well in the US with just manual labor. And so when we came to Europe, it was even more complicated because it was different countries, different kind of ownership management setups. And we had to sort through that. And so I tasked the scientist with that because we couldn't really use STRs until we could figure out who to call in, in this organization. And Wong is like, no problem. I got an army that can do this. So he outsourced this. And very quickly, not only were we able to do Western Europe, we were able to do Eastern Europe, and then the Middle East, Africa. He did all of Asia. And we mapped out the entire globe of hotels and where they sit within these hierarchies that that company, Revenate, is now doing. I think they're on a unicorn at this point and still uses that as an asset. So when I talk to different companies, it's like, mapping out your prospects and where they are and then keeping that data in your CRM pays dividends because you know who to sell to later when you have other products, things that people don't really think about, but it, it's still an asset that's paying dividends to Revenate now because they acquire companies and they already know before they even acquire who they can sell to them. Star class, for example, was really important. People who only had a four and five star hotel, uh, hotels would buy our product. If it was three star, it was like a lower conversion rate. One and two wouldn't buy. It was just like, so now I'm just raving about Huang and the brilliance of what he did, but he, then we could funnel all that information to the right teams and SDRs for them to call on, maximizing the conversion rates. Well, I think this kind of goes back to about a little bit about what Huang was saying before is that you're not making money from experimentation. You're trying to figure out what works. And then what you double down on what works and you can really, really put your efforts into that, that's where you're going to make a lot of your money. And so whether it's from running different types of marketing campaigns or from a more like direct sales approach. Once you figure that out, just like keep hammering away at the things that are working. And that's usually going to be the quickest way that you can unlock more margin or, or unlock other ways to grow your company, your team. And actually, if one was on the marketing team while he worked for me, that was the weirdest setup. But like, because it was a growth, it came out of the marketing budget for Huang, which is... <laughs> 
was a, it was a weird setup, but it worked massively effectively. But then Huang, any any other reflections on that time together that was meaningful later on in your career that was like a principle that you learned? I mean, not from me. I'm saying from that experience of practical lead generation and selling. Hey. Yeah, so the, 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 like that, what I learned there was kind of delegation, right? And the automating stuff. Um, I think from, from that specific thing, what I did building the, the system, not really mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I did it at the other companies as well, but that, that wasn't my core thing. I think eventually when I start working with you like really closely, that's when we start looking at funnels, right? And we start to look at, okay, how can we optimize based on data? And you would tell me, Huang, uh, can you get data out of the CRM? And I'm like, what CRM? I never used the CRM. So I had to like pick up the, the sales operations skills uh, uh, very fast. But that's, that's where we really start to look at, okay, yes, we have this huge database and, and we're trying to attack it as effectively as we can. Um, but yeah, time is limited and we have targets, so we need to uh, optimize while, while, we, uh, while we were doing that. And I think that mindset um, is, is what I've brought with me and finding opportunities that way uh, like through, through data. Um, that's what I've continued doing and, and, and still I'm doing at Monite as well. I love it. I love it. And I'm so proud of you and the career that you built after uh, working together. Um, and and maybe we can get you back on to to dive into some of the other roles that you've had and, and what you're going to do at Monite. But I know we're running up to the hour, so I want to be respectful of your time. Um, one question we like to get everybody out of here on is, what's one pe- lesson or piece of advice that you think about almost every day? This is the one thing I didn't... Uh... I didn't think about. Um, right, we gotta you just gotta wing it, man. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't like to say things that are um, like very generic. What's the other question? Well, where to find you on the internet? <laughs> that's the, that's an easier one. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, mostly on LinkedIn. All right, like, maybe we'll end with this one. What did what is Okay, so Huang Pham, H-O-A-N-G-P-H-A-M, is on LinkedIn, at Monite. You can follow him on LinkedIn. He used to write great content. I don't think he's writing as much as he used to, so maybe we well, should get you uh, again. putting out. Nice! All right, well, we're going to build your audience. I like yeah. that. All right, maybe we'll go, instead of a lesson that you think about every day, uh, maybe something from our history together that I don't remember Uh that might have been um, embarrassing for me or something that's less flattering. <laughs> yeah, we'll take embarrassing stories yeah, yeah, on we set can for 5,000, please. That's fine. Maybe one that's not embarrassing for you, but it is embarrassing for me, which is... Um... That's good. <laughs> Way to flip the script, Juan. When... I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you're so thoughtful. He's like the nicest guy ever. I love it. Well, when I... Um, when I... Like for my next gig after after Revenate, I actually uh, I was look, looking for something new, right? And I cold emailed uh, like fifty to one hundred breakout companies, um, those who like get like had a lot of funding, but I never got an interview out of that. And I think I know why, which is I sent all of my emails through my Revenate email, 
And that seems like as if I'm selling them something, but it's super unrelated, like unrelated to whatever business they were. Um, and I didn't, I never got an interview out of that. Um, but yeah, then I found Molly. And uh, sadly, it, which was okay because Swang uh, and I knew his time had come to an end because all of the projects he was working on had been completed excellently. Apparently not by Huang, but he had outsourced all that. Probably that's why it got done so well. So I think it's wonderful that when you were looking for another job, you were open with me about it and we worked together to get there. And yeah, don't look for a job from your biz- your work email account, even if your boss blesses that because everyone assumes everybody's selling all the time. And so it, it looks suspicious. I'm looking for some career advice. And also, would you like some software? It looks like that. But like now I realize it's such a stupid mistake. And uh, like now, now I know. <laughs> Uh, you're too innocent well i love you man i'm so happy we could uh, get together and every time we do you educate me so i'm glad you and jason could meet and uh should some good stuff will come out of that relationship too yeah sure thank you uh, for uh, bringing me on and uh, love to see you in person again awesome we'll see you man thanks Juan.